What an incredible time of worship this morning. And I pray that our prayer would be that we would allow God to take us where he wants to. That our faith would be that deep and our faith would be that strong. And our only concern would be following Jesus, no matter what the cost. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 26 this morning, Acts chapter 26. And this is the last week of our evangelism emphasis that we started the first week of March. And, and even though this emphasis is ending, I want to make sure you understand that evangelism is not ending. Evangelism is, is to continue. Evangelism is still to be the focus of what we do as believers. But I pray that through this emphasis, through the Bible study lessons and the messages that that all of us have been challenged to be more evangel evangelistic as a church and more evangelistic as individuals. And I pray that we've understood that our mission in life is to make disciples and that we've had a renewed passion and a renewed desire to tell others about Jesus. And I pray that your Bible study class has compiled a list of people that don't know Jesus and are praying for those people constantly and I would encourage you to continue add to that list as the year goes on. And I pray that your Bible study class is in the process of and has adopted an unreached people group, over 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. And that you will commit to pray for that group regularly. And I pray that your Bible study teacher will take some time each month to share with you ways and tools that you can use to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you to continue to pray for the names of those persons whose initials are names you wrote on those ping pong balls and drop them in this Who's Your One display. Pray that they would come to know Jesus and that God would give you an opportunity to share with them and boldness to share with them. And throughout the rest of this year, if you want to continue to add white ping pong balls to this display of people who need Jesus that you know, feel free to do that. And I want to remind you that every time you have a gospel conversation, you can add a yellow ping pong ball to this display. And our goal through the end of this year is to have 700 gospel conversations. Your upward visits count towards that. Any conversations you have at work or at school count towards that. And then when you lead someone to Christ or, or someone you know who's in this, or has a name on a white ping pong ball, comes to know Christ, I encourage you to drop a blue ping pong ball in this display signifying that someone has given their life to Jesus. And our goal by the end of the year is to have 40 salvations. And after this morning, this display will no longer be here, but it will be in our foyer as you go out to the doors. It will be to the right. And I just want to say thank you to those who have been doing upward visits, upward follow-up visits. Don't stop. There's still work to be done. And if you haven't been able to come and want to come, there's still time. We're doing this through April. And we meet Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. in the choir room, and we've had a great response as we have 140 families who were part of Upward to go and visit who indicated they have no church home. And if you have a story about a gospel conversation you had, whether it be an Upward visit or at work or at school or, or a neighborhood or wherever it might be, and you want to share it, let me know. Because we want to celebrate with you, and we want to hear what God is doing in your life and how He is moving. But this morning, we are concluding our current series called The Mission of Life. And as I stated back on March the 5th, the mission of life is the Great Commission. The mission of life is as you go, as you live life, make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As we go, as we live our lives. We are to make disciples for Christ by sharing the good news, by sharing the gospel of Jesus. That is called evangelism. And three weeks ago from Matthew 10, I shared that in order to fulfill our mission, we have to pray. We have to proceed. We have to endure persecution. We have to overcome panic. We have to hold on to God's promises. Then the following week from Acts 1, 1 to 14 and Acts 8, 26 through 40 with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, I shared if we're going to fulfill the mission of life by sharing Jesus with those who don't know him, we have to be a prepared witness. We have to understand the message of God. We have to focus on the mission of God and we have to rely on the power of God. 
And then last week, Andy McDonald did a great job of talking about the process of evangelism from Acts 17, verses 16 through 34, which was Paul's encounter in Athens with the intellectual elite, with the Stoic and the Epicurean philosophers. And Andy's challenge was to follow Paul's example when sharing Jesus, to go where they are, to share what, what we know and share what they don't know, which is the gospel. And then after you share, you can expect either a red response, a red light, a yellow light, or a green light. So we've talked about the purpose. We've talked about being prepared. We've talked about this process. And this morning, I'm going to wrap up this series by talking about how are we to present the gospel. How do we bridge the gap and turn what starts as a normal conversation into a gospel conversation? And we're mainly going to base this off of Paul's example in Acts chapter 26. But before we get into Acts 26, I want to kind of reiterate what Andy said last week. If you are going to move a normal conversation into a gospel conversation and share Jesus and present the gospel, this is the first point. You must start a conversation and build a bridge. You have to start a conversation and build a bridge. And often this is the toughest thing to do. But as from last week, just to kind of jog our memories from Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 24, this is exactly what Paul did. Paul is in the Areopagus in Athens, and this is what it says. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. What did Paul do? He engaged the Greek philosophers in a conversation about what he observed in the city of Athens. He says, look, I've been around the city and I see that you are religious people. You have all these altars, all these gods, and you know what? You even have one to an unknown God. And he used that altar of the unknown God. He took what they knew and he shared with them what they didn't know. He took the opportunity to reveal to them that the unknown God was the one true and living God. That the God they didn't know was the God that they needed to know. And last week Andy mentioned a tool that can be used to start a conversation. He used the acronym FACE, which stood for Families, Activities, Career, and Eternity. With students, I use the acronym FIRM. Many of these students have been on a mission trip with me. They, they should know this by heart. If they don't know, I don't know what's wrong with them. It's not my problem, it's theirs. But they should know this acronym FIRM, which means family and interest and religion and message. You see, to begin a conversation, especially if you don't know the person that well, you may ask about their family. You may ask about their job. You may ask about their activities or their interest. And if you do have a relationship with that person, you probably talk about those same things on a regular basis. So the question arises, how do I turn a normal conversation into a gospel conversation? This is where eternity or the message comes in. You have to ask spiritual questions. During your normal conversation, you have to turn the conversation by asking spiritual questions. Such things as, what do you think about God? Everybody has an opinion about God. What do you think about Jesus? Everyone has an opinion about Jesus. What do you think happens after you die? Everyone has an opinion about what happens after you die. What do you think it takes to go to heaven? Questions like that are questions that you can use to start a spiritual conversation. But two questions I like asking people are questions that reveal their spiritual understanding. And I think I've shared with this a couple of times, but I want to share it again. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that you're going to heaven? If they say 10, you need to ask, why are you that confident? If they say 5 or 6 or, or 1, you need to ask why they're not that confident. And if they give a salvation answer, if they say, well, I'm saved by grace through faith, for what Jesus did on the cross, ask for their testimony. Make sure they've given their life to Christ. Never assume that someone who says they're a Christian, that they are a Christian. Make sure they share your te their testimony with you. But what if they give you a works answer? What if they give you a good person answer? Or what if they really don't have an opinion? 
To help us discover how to respond in those situations, we're going to unpack Acts chapter 26 this morning. But before we get into the text of Acts 26, I want to put it into context. What happens in Acts 26, it all began in Acts chapter 21 starting in verse 17 because when Paul arrived in Jerusalem after his third missionary journey, he engaged in worship in the temple. And he was mistakenly accused of defiling the temple by, the, by, by bringing Greeks into the temple. And then a mob of Jews quickly assembled and they dragged him from the temple. And scripture says that they were trying to kill him. And he would have been killed except for the prompt arrival of Claudius Lysias. Who not only saved Paul's life and he sought to protect his rights as a Roman citizen. But he also tried through various means to determine what Paul was being accused of. So that a trial could be conducted and Paul's guilt or innocence could be proclaimed. Then in Acts 23 and verses 12 through 15, there's a plot to kill Paul. But that plot to kill Paul was foiled by his nephew. And this led to his transfer to Caesarea and to his unfinished trial under Felix. Who kept Paul in custody as a favor to the Sanhedrin. And then two years later, Felix was replaced by Festus who also attempted to decide the matter at the attempt of the, of the request of the Sanhedrin in Acts 25, 1 through 7. But because Paul was a Roman citizen, Paul said, I'm going to appeal to Caesar in Acts 25, 11. And when Paul made the declaration that he was going to appeal to Caesar, this caused a huge predicament for Festus. Now he had to send Paul to Rome. But he really don't know what to tell Caesar that Paul is charged with. So now he invites in chapter 26 King Herod Agrippa II and his sister Bernice and the military and the civil leaders of Caesarea to hear Paul's story and to help him determine what any crime, if any crime, that there was that they could charge Paul with. And just to give you some background on King Herod Agrippa II, He's the great-grandson of King Herod the Great in Matthew chapter 2. King Herod the Great was the king when Jesus was born. He was the king that declared all male children to and under are to be killed. This is the great-grandson of King Herod the Great. So King Herod Agrippa II, he's a Hellenistic Jew. He's a client of Rome. Even though he's a Jew, he bows to what Rome says. And so we're going to start in in Acts chapter 26 and pick up the story and see how Paul shared his faith. And if we want to know how to share our faith, if we want to know how to share the gospel, Paul's example in Acts 26 is a great example to follow. So the first thing I said, you have to start a conversation and build a bridge. The second thing you need to do is we're going to see right off the bat in Acts 26 is you have to share your story. That's point number two. You have to share your story after you start your conversation and ask a spiritual question. You need to ask them if they, uh, if you can share your story. You need to share what God has done for you. You need to share your testimony. And there's a couple of different ways you can do it. There's something called the three-minute testimony. Most people say that you need to try to share your testimony in three minutes or less. Now there's something called the 15-second testimony, and I'm going to share how you do both of those this morning. But the first part of your testimony is your life before Christ. The second part is how you came to Christ. The third part of your testimony is how your life has changed since you gave your life to Jesus. And when we share our testimony, whether it's three minutes or 15 seconds, We need to share all three of those things. So let's read Acts 26, verses 1 through 11, and let's read Paul, and let's read what his life was like before Christ. He says, Agrippa said to Paul, it is permitted for you to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. In verse 2, he said, I consider myself fortunate King Agrippa. Why did Paul consider himself fortunate to be before King Agrippa? I think it's because of King Agrippa's background. King Agrippa was a Jew. He knew the Jewish customs. He knew the Jewish laws. He knew the scripture. Paul was finally talking to someone that that would understand what he was talking about. 
Then we continue, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that today I'm going to make a defense before you about everything I am accused of by the Jews, especially since you are an expert in all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem. They had previously known me for quite some time. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. The promise our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve him night and day. Because of this hope, I'm being accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it considered incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself supposed it was necessary to do many things in this opposition to the name of Jesus the Nazarene. This I actually did in Jerusalem. I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In all the synagogues, I often tried to make them blaspheme by punishing them. Being greatly enraged at them, I even pursued them to foreign cities. After acknowledging King Agrippa, Paul describes what his life was like before he came to know Jesus. Before he gave his life to Christ, Paul was a Pharisee. He was as Jewish as his ancestors, and he was actually from the strictest branch of Judaism in keeping the Mosaic Law. And as a Pharisee, Paul believed the resurrection of the dead, but he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Son of God. And in his presentation, he emphasizes this point because this was the focus of the charges that were against him. The charges against him, he was preaching Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. And in verses 6 and 7, Paul points out that the hope of the resurrection was central to Judaism as it was traced back to God's promise given to the fathers and the prophets held by all 12 tribes. Paul, however, was so devout. He was so legalistic in his traditional Jewish beliefs that he says he actively pursued and arrested Christians. And this is what it states in Acts chapter 8, 1 through 3. He put them in jail. He even put them to death. He even gave them an opportunity to blaspheme Jesus, which means he gave them the opportunity to recant their faith, and they would not. They were not willing to recant their faith. They would rather, rather die than blaspheme the name of Jesus. We also know Paul was involved with the martyring of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. But what is ironic is that Paul, who once persecuted those who believed in Jesus, is now himself being persecuted for believing in Jesus. And because of this, he did not have any animosity toward those who were persecuting him. In fact, Paul saw it as an opportunity. He had a captive audience with now which whom he could share about God and how God had changed his life. And this is exactly what Paul did. He took advantage of the opportunity that God had placed in front of him. He was sharing Christ where God had placed him. And you know, we need to take advantage of the opportunity God gives us. And we need to to, to seek to share Jesus where God places us. If Paul can share Jesus in chains in front of King Agrippa and Festus and the military commanders who literally have their life in his hands, can't we share Jesus with those around us? We need to be willing to share where God places us. But the first step in giving our testimony is sharing what our life was like before we came to Christ. Because people need to hear that at one time we were like them. At one time we were lost. We were a sinner in need of a Savior. And when we tell people that we were like them, this gives them hope that God can work in their life. That God can change them like He changed us. And so if I were to start my testimony off of what my life was like before Christ, I'm going to give my three-minute version first in parts, then I'll finish with my 15-second testimony. I would say this. I would talk about how I grew up in church. I was in church all the time. And then at the age of nine, after seeing the movie Thief in the Night, 
which was about the rapture and about people being left behind. I went forward. I was scared to death. I didn't want to be left behind. I wanted to be included in the rapture. And that night, I thought I made the decision to give my life to Jesus. But you know what? I really didn't. For eight years, I played church. For eight years, I went through the motions of what it was to be a Christian. And I did it pretty well. I fooled my pastor. I fooled everyone in the church. I fooled my parents. They all thought that I was a Christian because I knew all the answers. I was always at church. I I knew the scriptures. I believed in the Bible. But you know what? I knew something was missing. I knew in my heart that I really hadn't given my life to Jesus. So always, always share what your life was like before you came to Christ. This is what Paul did and this is what we should do. Then after you share what your life was like before Christ, share how you came to Christ. This is the second part of your testimony and this is what Paul did. Paul tells us about his conversion experience in verses 12 to 18. He says this, Under these circumstances I was traveling to Damascus with authority and in a commission from the chief priest. At midday, while on the road, O king, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. But I said, who are you, Lord? The Lord replied, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of the things you have seen and the things which I will appear to you. I'll rescue from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul tells about his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, which is chronicled in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And on the road to Damascus, Paul's purpose was not to meet Jesus. Paul was going to persecute followers of of Jesus. But God had something else in mind. On that road to Damascus, God got Paul's attention. He spoke to Paul. Or Saul as his name was. At midday, Paul said, in the middle of the road, this loud voice comes. They all fall down. And Paul says, I heard a voice say to me in Hebrew, why are you persecuting me? You see, on that road, God got Paul's attention. And when Jesus revealed himself to Paul, Paul gave his life to Christ. God changed his life on the road to Damascus. Verse 14, it says, Paul, why do you kick against the goats? That's an interesting phrase. It's the only time it's used in Scripture. It's the idea of Saul fighting against God. You see, a goad was a sharp stick that was used to prod an animal, and it was sometimes embedded in the crossbar directly behind the animal so that if the animal started acting up and kicking, It would feel the pain of the goes and quickly settle down in order to be guided by his master. You see, Saul thought he was serving God. But actually, he was fighting against God. And God made it very clear to to Paul that this was a fight that he was going to lose. And on that road to Damascus, God wanted Saul to recognize him as the master of his life and not the Jewish religion. You see, for me, this part of my testimony would go something like this. For eight years, I played church. But then on Sunday night, July 17th, 1988, God got my attention. It was in the gym of our church as that's where we were having our services as our new sanctuary was being built. And that particular Sunday night, this family came to do a drama about heaven, about the, the family circle not being broken and I remember this day as if it was yesterday I remember exactly where I was seated in that gym and God spoke to me and he said this he said you don't know me you just think you do 
And I was under deep conviction. I couldn't argue with God anymore. I knew he was right. I knew that I didn't know him. I knew that I had the head knowledge of Scripture, but I was missing the heart knowledge. So I went forward as soon as the invitation started. And my college leader at that time, he took me to the gym kitchen. And he looked at me and he said this. He said, you know what to do, just go ahead and do it. And he was exactly right, I knew what to do. So that night I prayed and I asked Jesus to come into my life. To be my Savior and my Lord. And that night was the night I truly gave my life to Jesus. And that night my life and my eternal destiny was changed forever. You see, after you share what your life was like before Christ, you need to share how you came to Christ. You need to share how Jesus gave you hope. What were the circumstances in which Jesus came to you and spoke to you and made you aware that you needed a Savior? And then you need to share the third part of your testimony. How has your life changed after receiving Jesus? Paul tells of this in verses 19 to 21. Listen to how Paul's life changed after that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus and to those in Jerusalem and all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple complex and were trying to kill me. Paul's life changed dramatically after his encounter with Jesus. Paul went from persecuting Christians to being persecuted for being a Christian. He went from being a persecutor of the gospel to being a proclaimer of the gospel. He went from opposing Christ to being passionate about Christ to being an opponent of the gospel to being a proponent of the gospel. Paul's life was radically changed by Jesus. And for Paul, it was no longer about a religion. For Paul, it was now about a relationship. Paul fulfilled the purpose God had for his life. Paul fulfilled the mission that Jesus had for his life. And what was that mission? To preach Jesus and to make disciples. And if God can change Paul, God can change anyone. You see, the moment I gave my life to Christ, I was no longer empty. And my life had meaning and my life had purpose. And I knew that I now had peace with God and I now had the peace of God. Now what about a 15 second testimony? Sometimes you only have a very short time to share testimony. Anthony, do we have a slide about the 15 second testimony? The 15 second testimony means that you start with two words to describe your life before Christ. There was a time in my life when I was blank and blank. For me, it would be there was a time in my life when I was empty and my life had no purpose. And I knew something was missing. For you, that may mean you were hurting and you were lonely. Or maybe it was you were angry or you were insecure. And then I would say, when I met Jesus and gave my life to Jesus, my life was changed as my sins were forgiven and I chose to follow him. And then you use two words to describe how Jesus changed your life. Now my life has blank and blank. And I would say something like this. Ever since that moment, my life has been filled with God's peace. And my life has value and meaning and purpose. That's the 15 second version of the three minute version I gave you. In the context of the conversation, we'll, we'll tell you which version you need to use, but I would encourage you to know your three-minute testimony and to know your 15-second testimony. They both can be very effective. But whether you share the longer version of your testimony or the shorter version, always ask the person with your sharing this question. Say, can I share with you how you can have a story like mine? Just don't share your testimony and leave it. Ask them, can I, share, can I share with you how you can have a story like mine? Can I share with you how Jesus changed my life? 
Can I share that with you? So then after you share your story, you do this. You share God's story. So you start the conversation. You build a bridge. You share your story. You ask them if, if you can share how they can have a story like yours. And if, if they, you can share how Jesus can change their life. And then you share God's story. This is what Paul did. After Paul shared his story and his testimony of, of how God changed his life. He talked about the gospel. He talked about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Verses 22 and 23. He says, since I have attained help that comes from God, to this day I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing else than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that as the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. That's the gospel in a nutshell. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul wrote this. He said, for I passed on to you as the most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's exactly what he said in verses 22 and 23. Now there are different tools that you can use, different methods that you can use to share the gospel. In the past we've talked about three circles. There's a three circle method you can use. There's also an app for three circles. There's the one verse you can use simply by using John 3.16. There's the Romans road you can use. And I would encourage you, if you Google methods of sharing the gospel, you will see all kinds of ways that you can share Jesus. But I would tell you, find the method that you are most comfortable with and, and, and master that method and use that method. And the one that I am currently now using and the one that we're currently teaching our students is called the gospel acronym. It's called Life in Six Words, and I think we have a slide up there, and I think it's also in your bullet. It's called the gospel acronym. And what does the gospel acronym do? It simply explains what the gospel is. And you can say, let me share with you the gospel, how God created us to be in relationship with him, how our sins separated us from Jesus, and our sins can't be repaid by good deeds. And paying the price for our sin, Jesus died on the cross for us. And everyone who gives their life to Jesus and puts their faith in Jesus has eternal life. And life with Jesus begins now and lasts forever. That is the gospel. That is the good news in a nutshell. And then I have different verses that you can use to go along with that. For sake of time, I won't go through all those verses, but I would encourage you Maybe to use these verses that are listed here or use your own verses. And one method is not better than the other. It's what method you are most comfortable with that matters. And what matters is that you have a method that you can use to share. But I would encourage you, if you don't have a method, the gospel acronym is a great method. And then after you share the gospel, the fourth thing you need to do is you need to invite them to make God's story part of their story. You need to invite them to make God's story part of their story. After Paul finished sharing his story, and after he finished sharing God's story, he gave those listening an opportunity to respond. Never present the gospel without giving the person you are sharing with an opportunity to respond and share Jesus. It does no good to share your story and share God's story, and not invite them to be part of God's story. And you simply ask, would you like to make God's story part of your story? Would you like to give your life to Jesus and for him to change your life the way that he changed mine? And Andy, last week, he mentioned three responses when the gospel is presented. He said, you might get a red light response, which is complete rejection. He said you might get a yellow light response, which means they're cautious and they're interested, but they're not quite yet ready. Something is keeping them from believing. And then you might get a green light response, which is tell me how and tell me now. And look at the responses that Paul received. In verse 21, the Jews seized me in the temple complex and were trying to kill him. That is definitely a red light response. The Jews were having nothing of it. They were done with Paul. They didn't want to hear about Jesus. 
You know, when you, we share the gospel, some people today may respond the way the Jews did. They tried to kill Paul because of his faith. You know, and some Christians are in situations that when they share their faith, they put their lives on the line, especially in other countries. It may be when you share your faith, you may risk the loss of a relationship. It may be that when you share your faith, you may risk the loss of your job or the loss, or, or loss of a promotion. There may be some sacrifice involved with sharing your faith. But you know what? That didn't keep Paul from sharing. And then in verse 24, let's look at verse 24 of Acts 26. He got another response. This was from Festus, the Roman governor who was bringing him to trial. As he was making his defense this way, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you crazy. Festus responded the way many people do today. He thought Paul was insane. He said, Paul, this makes no sense to me. Festus couldn't wrap, around, couldn't wrap his mind around who Jesus was and why he came. And I'm reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.27, that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Talking about the cross. You see, when we share Jesus, we may be accused of being crazy. We may be accused of, of being foolish for believing in Jesus. We may, someone may say to us, that doesn't make sense. And unfortunately, there are many Christians are, who are intimidated to share the gospel because they fear what other people may think about them or they fear what other people may say about them. But this is what I would say. I would much rather be a fool in the eyes of the world than a fool in the eyes of God. I'd much rather someone call me crazy about Jesus than God looking at me and saying, you fool, why didn't you share me? People may question a lot of things, but the one thing they can't question is how God changed your life. And even though Paul received outright rejection from Festus, notice in verse 25, he continued to treat Festus with respect. He said, but Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. Paul didn't call him an idiot. Paul didn't say, you're out of your mind. Paul simply reminded him, he said, Festus, I'm speaking the truth. You know, when people reject us, we need to treat them the same way that Paul treated Festus. We need to treat them with respect. Remembering they're not rejecting us, but they're rejecting Christ. And remembering that our job is not to convict or convert. Our job is simply to share. The convicting and the converting is the job of the Holy Spirit. And then look at verses 26 to 28. Paul turns his attention to King Agrippa. He says this. He said, the king knows about these matters. It is to him I'm actually speaking boldly. For I'm not convinced that any of these things escapes his notice since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Paul put Agrippa in a very precarious situation. Agrippa responded to Paul in a way that allowed him to say face in front of the others present. He said, in verse 28 to Paul, he said, Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? You see, Agrippa didn't want to offend the Jews by saying anything about not believing the prophets. He didn't want to look foolish in front of his Roman friends and saying he believed that Jesus rose from the dead. You know what Agrippa gave? He gave a yellow light response. He was a very savvy politician. He was cautious and calculated in his response to Paul. And he simply decide, decided to skirt the question by saying that it would take more than one hearing to persuade him to become a Christian. In other words, he pushed the decision down the road. He was saying, not today, Paul. Maybe another day. I wonder how many people have said that. Not today, Jesus. Maybe another day. Maybe I live my life first. Maybe I get my life in order first. Maybe I do what I want to do first and then come to you. That's a dangerous thing to do because you never know when you'll have another opportunity. 
If Jesus is calling you to salvation today, you need to respond to that call. You see, Agrippa was concerned about what others thought. He was more concerned about his political career than his eternal destiny. And when it comes to the gospel, being concerned about what others think is dangerous. Because being concerned about what others may think can keep believers from coming to Christ. And this also can keep believers from sharing Christ. You can't let what others think or say keep you from coming to Jesus. And you can't let what others say or think keep you from sharing Christ. Because it doesn't matter what others think. All that matters is what God thinks. And Scripture makes it very clear that we are here to please God and we are not here to please man. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Paul proclaimed it boldly and so should we. And even though Paul didn't get a green light response, meaning no one received Jesus in that crowd as far as we know, notice what he did in verse 29. He said, I wish before God that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you but all who listen to me today might become as I am except for these chains. What did Paul do? He showed concern for them. His heart broke from them. He wanted them to become like him. He wanted them to have what he had. And I believe that Paul prayed for these men and women to come to know Jesus until the day that he died. And if we share and the person that we share with doesn't make a decision to receive Jesus, we're not to write them off. We're to continue to be concerned about their salvation that they may become like us, that they may be a sinner saved by grace and experience the love and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God that we have experienced. And we need to constantly pray for their salvation and to have opportunities to share with them. And before you leave the conversation with someone, whether they receive Christ or not, ask if you can pray for them Ask them if there's anything specific in their life that they would like you to pray for. And I would say almost 90% of the time, everyone that you ask if I can pray for you, most of them will say, yes, you can pray for me. You see, Paul's presentation in Athens in Acts 17 and his testimony before Agrippa in Acts 26, it gives us a great model to follow what it looks like to share the gospel. Because if we're going to move from a normal conversation to a gospel presentation, we need to make sure that we ask spiritual questions. We need to make sure that we share our story of how God changed our life, what our life was like before Christ, how we came to Christ, what our life was like after Christ. Then we're to make a personal invitation to those with whom we are sharing to give their life to Jesus. And never share Jesus without giving someone the opportunity to receive Jesus. When you share Jesus, always give the person you're sharing with the opportunity to come to Christ. And regardless of their response, pray with them. Be personable. Speak the truth boldly. Do it in love. And make your gospel presentation your own. Before we close, I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to do a role play, a live example of how this may play out. I'm going to do my best to show you how how this can be done. I'm going to use our upward visit as an example. So if you bear with me for five minutes, I'm going to try to make it through this gospel presentation and just show you, give you an example of what it would be like to approach someone and share Jesus with them. If I mess up, don't you laugh, all right? I'm nervous. I might mess up, so... So don't laugh if I do, but I'm going to try to walk you through because we're doing upward visits right now. And I just want to show you what this would look like of how you can have a conversation and turn a normal conversation into a gospel presentation. So just bear with me. This shouldn't take but an hour or so and we'll get right. We'll be finished in just a second. All right. Hold on just a second. I think someone's behind this door over here. Mr. Wilson. How are you this morning? Good. You're good. Great. I noticed that your family was part of our upward ministry at Red House Baptist Church. And yeah. notice on your, on your form that you indicated you didn't have a church home. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is 
It's not that tough of a question, Mr. Wilson. It's either you have a church home or you don't. So we don't. You don't have a church home. Great. Well, that's not great, but I would love for you to have, to have a church home. And uh, I just wanted to come by and invite you to our church and, and that we have some information here. We have Easter coming up. We have an Easter service on Sunday, April the 9th that we would like for your family to come to. Okay. We also have Vacation Bible School for June 11th through the 15th. And we also have Upward Camp July 24th to 28th that we would love for your children to be, in, to be involved with. And can I ask you, what did you think about Red House Baptist Church and how was your Upward experience? They were, they were nice. We, we had some good food. Good food. Yeah, and the, the reps weren't awful, so yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty good time. It yeah. was a good time. Yeah. What did you think of the pastor? Did you meet the pastor? What did you think of the pastor of Red House? He was nice. He was nice. I'll tell him that. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, what did you think about the focus of Oprah being Jesus? I mean, my kids had questions about it, mm-hmm. and. I, I don't know. Like, it was okay. It, it was it was a little odd, but okay. It, was okay. it wasn't weird. Well, can I ask you a couple of questions? Sure. On a scale of one to ten, how confident are you that you're going to heaven? Let's do it. Like, uh, maybe, I guess maybe a ten. Maybe a ten. Maybe a ten. And why are you that confident? Because I mean, I'm like I'm not an awful person. I I don't do anything, and I'm kind of nice to people. And mm. uh, y'all told me Jesus loved me, so. Why, like, why wouldn't I go to heaven? Right. Well, can I share with you my story and how Jesus changed my life? Yeah. Well, there was a time in my life where my life didn't have no value or meaning or purpose, and I, I felt empty inside, and I knew something was missing. But then when I met Jesus and gave my life to Jesus, something changed. My sins were forgiven, and I followed him. And ever since that moment that I met Jesus, I'm at peace with God. I have the peace of God. And now my life has meaning and purpose, and I don't feel empty anymore. Okay. Can, can, I, and can I share with you how you can have that kind of story and how Jesus can change your life the way he changed mine? Can I share that with you real quick? Yeah. I'm going to use an acronym. It's called the gospel. Gospel means good news. And the story of Jesus is good news. It's good news because of this. God created us to be in our relationship with him. But our sins separated us from God. Sins can't be repaid by good deeds. It doesn't matter what we do. We can't earn God's salvation. It's by what he did on the cross. Okay. Paying the price for our sin. Jesus died on the cross for us. And everyone who trusts in Jesus and gives their life to Jesus has eternal life. And that life with Jesus begins with him now and it lasts forever. Okay. Having heard what I shared... Would you like for God's story to become part of your story? I, I guess. I mean, that, that was a lot. That I, was a lot. That was a lot. Um, maybe? I guess maybe. Can I share you how you can do that? Yeah. You're a sinner, right? I mean. I just need to ask your wife. That's uh, all I need to do, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've made mistakes. Yeah, I've made a couple mistakes. Yeah, you've lied, right? Y- yeah. Yeah, you disobeyed your parents. You don't go to church. God says we should go to church. Yeah, so all right, you're a sinner. All right? So you're a sinner. That's the first thing. You have to admit that you're a sinner. Okay. Then you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and gave his life for you. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Okay. And then you have to confess your sin to him. You have to agree with God that you're a sinner and you want to ask forgiveness for your sin. And scripture says if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then you have to commit your life to Jesus and say, I want to follow Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raising from the dead, you will be saved. Is that something you would like to do today? I don't know. You don't know. Is that something you'd like to think about and pray about? If you have any questions, there's some information in here, and then I'd be glad for you to contact me with any questions you may have. But can I, can I pray with you? Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank so, <laughs> that wasn't that hard. Less than three or four minutes. Shared the gospel, shared my story of how God changed my life. And ask him if he wanted God to change his. And I will say more than not, you'll get responses like that. But there will be some times where you have a divine appointment where someone was wanting you to visit. 
And they'll be excited that you came, and they'll want to desire to give their life to Jesus. I want us to continue to being an evangelistic church, to be a people who desire for others to come to know Jesus. So this morning, if, as we enter our time of invitation and time of commitment, if Bill would come as we get ready for that. If you don't know Jesus, I want to ask you to give your life to him today. Ask him to come into your life to be your Savior. And Lord, don't be like King Agrippa. You're almost persuaded. And don't let anything or anyone keep you from coming to Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to come to this altar and pray for those in your life that don't know Christ. Especially those names that you've written on those ping pong balls and drop them into display. Continue to ask God to open their heart to the gospel Continue to ask God to give you opportunities and boldness to share with them and to, and to tell them your story and to tell them his story. And if God has laid someone else on your heart that you know of who needs Jesus and you haven't dropped in a ping pong ball for them yet, you can do that this morning as well. If you've had a gospel conversation this week, whether it was upward or at work or at school or with a family member, with a neighbor, I want you to come and drop a yellow ping pong ball in that display because I know some of you have had gospel conversations. I've heard of them. And if you've led someone to Christ or someone who has a white ping pong ball in here has come to Christ and yet not drop one in for them, I want you to come and drop a blue ping pong ball in this display for them as well. But if there are other decisions this morning, maybe you want to be baptized like Olivia was baptized. You've given your life to Christ and you want to follow him in baptism. Maybe you want to join our church or maybe God's calling you to ministry or to missions, whatever it might be. We're going to pray and then we're going to ask you to come as we sing. But let's pray and then we'll have our time of commitment today. And I just want to ask you to be obedient to God in the way that he leads you. Father, we just come before you this morning and we just thank you for your word and we thank you for your truth. God, we thank you for the example of Paul as he clearly shows us how we can turn a normal conversation into a gospel presentation. And Father, I pray that we would go in your spirit and we would go in an attitude of prayer and we would look for the opportunities that you put in front of us to talk to Jesus with others, God. And Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray today they would say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Father, I pray that they would not give a red light response or a yellow light response, but God, they would give a green light response and say, I want to give my life to Christ today. I don't want to wait any longer. Father, for those of us who know you and we've dropped names in this display of people who don't, may we keep praying for these people, for opportunities to share, for boldness to share, for you to open their hearts to the truth of the gospel. And Father, I pray that even though this evangelism emphasis is, is officially Ending today, Father, that we would continue to be evangelistic as a church. We would continually be evangelistic in our lives, that we would desire to fulfill the mission you have for our life, which is to go and make disciples. And Father, we just pray that you'd work in this time of invitation today. We just celebrate you and who you are and what you've done. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.